David and I have, ever since we saw this movie a few years ago, I think I've just really appreciated the practical value it has for waking up. And some of you might have seen Michael Moore's other movies, like Fahrenheit 911 or Bowling for Columbine. They all have uh, they all have a tone of there's something wrong with the world, but he never gets in touch with a solution except perhaps another political solution. But this movie we're going to watch tonight, which is called Where We Invade Next, which is why we didn't put the title up anywhere, so nobody nobody would come, if they <laughs> is actually a beautiful movie of taking ideas that were actually originally in our own heart, if, if you think of yourself as an American or a Canadian, and yet we forgot and then symbolically had to go out and remember the ideas that our brothers were trying to teach us and bring them back into our hearts. So in that sense, it's a really inspiring movie to go past political barriers. And I'm going to be doing a show tomorrow on uh, immigration, which is really funny to say, but because there's all these people that are up in arms with people coming into the country and all of those that are up in arms for those not coming into the country. So I kind of want to look at that topic in a deeper way. So I thought tonight's movie actually is going to look at food, prison sentences. I kind of forget them all now, but many different themes that will probably help you feel a sense of love underneath it all. And that's what we're going for. And Dave and I were just talking out there to me, which is the heart of it, is that without practical application... Yeah, this is nothing. And David will keep saying 1% principle, 99% practice. This movie is pretty much uh, practice all the way. And yeah, we like that. So, yeah, I was trying to think some more of the themes. It was uh, uh, drug control and enforcement. That was, I think, with that Portugal is in there. And um, holidays and vacation, time off, time off vacation, uh, uh, education, yeah, that's definitely covered. And, and cost of education, I think it's, it's a Slovenia where they have like free, free education, free university education and so forth. So you see a lot of interesting ideas that are put into practice and you get to watch how the people are interacting. And uh, so oftentimes we will talk about the, the movies and the perception, but this, I think this is a really good inroads movie. Uh, I think for your show, uh, from the bottom up, a lot of these examples, you could you could almost pick... A, a country like um, I think Iceland's in here. How they deal with the financial housing worldwide crash and 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 people who had a hand in it and and so forth. And but you could go through, you could do a country a week and say we're going to look at a situation here, and then we're going to take a beautiful, miraculous uh, extension of. Of love, and we'll even take it deeper in the mind to undoing the concepts that 
that are even behind that. You know, you could even take, instead of taking only only the really dark, ex- extreme ones, you could take some of the really uh, miraculous expressions and then take it even much, much deeper. So, to go from the bottom up. But I, I have such an appreciation. I remember we first saw this, and I saw it in a movie theater in uh, Salt Lake City, I think, Utah. But I just said, oh yeah, Michael, he's really getting down to the heart of it, to the love. It's beyond just exposing corruption or exposing deception. Actually letting love inspire you and letting your actions be inspired by love. Very much like uh, the famous theologian St. Augustine who said, love... Love and do what you will. And uh, this is really a good example of that, I think, in a lot of different countries. Love and do what you will. So I'm actually excited because what reminded us to watch this movie was a friend of mine, Sonia, a friend of ours down in Australia, is, has been working for a few years to get into the prison system because she works on this program called Nonviolent Communication, NVC. It's So she's really into the course, but this is where her heart's at for extension of the course ideas. And she said she goes into this prison and, yeah, one guy, I think she met in there, had been in solitary confinement for five years. And then he comes out to meet with her. And she said the encounter was so profound for her because she had to be so into true empathy and just listen and listen deliver the words the spirit would have her listen but then she went home and she just (laughs) now I'm crying for her she just cried and cried for like hours like somehow it was like a a cosmic healing or something like that and and then I she sent me this clip from Norway and she's like oh my god we need to (laughs) bring this to to Australia but you so you'll see a lot of contrast clips that the way one country does things is, is way more in alignment with like love guiding it than than another, so, yeah. Okay. Are we ready? That's good. Okay, well, we might pause it a few times, but, yeah, that's good. We'll enjoy the movie. Okay. The math teacher <laughs> says we teach happiness. You can, you can really see that there's a vast difference of approaches here. It's not just minor. And then you can start to see that that it goes with the mindset and we know that it goes with the the thoughts and the beliefs. You know, is equality something that you talk about in your constitution or is equality something that you practice on a daily basis in all of your interactions? Is equality something that's in your institutions? Is equality is something in your food preparation, in your access for education, yeah, just all across the board. You know, it, it, it. I think we're seeing some good examples of this. This is the spirit, the the principles that are higher principles, loving principles that are put into action, and also. This is the difference. If you bring it back to talking about religion and spirituality, religion and spirituality, if it's just confined to 
theologies or memorizing rules or principles uh, and not putting them into practice, then uh, you have to actually say, what good is my theology? Suppose I belong to a religion and it, it tells you, these are the do's, these are the don'ts, do these things, you go to heaven, don't do these things, or else you'll go to hell, you know, if you do them. And it's like a lot of fear and it's no different whether it's education or prison systems or government systems. You know, there, there are basic core principles that are more in alignment with the truth more alignment with spirit, and then when you don't align or you don't practice that alignment, then they just turn into concepts. And even church, you know, people can say, well, it's important to go to church. Um, I just saw an article today where they were saying that even in churches, there's usually like 20% of the people in, in a church that are fired up and basically carry the, do all the work of the church. The rest of the 80 aren't sure if they believe in God, aren't really sure if they believe in the Bible. They show up more as an obligation, a duty. It's the thing to do, to people-pleasing. Please parents, please families, please relatives, you know, 80%, and then there's 20%. And then out of that 20%, there's, there's sometimes a few <laughs> that are really fired up. But it's just all beliefs. Everybody, it's just like, well, I have to go to church. I have to pay my taxes. I have to work. I have to do, go to school. I have to do homework. All these have-to, have-tos. And then this film is showing, well, actually, if you're inspired, there is a better way. That's how A Course in Miracles even came. Bill Thedford had a prayer in where he worked. and He said there has to be a better way to live. And that prayer was answered. Jesus answered that, Bill and Helen, with A Course in Miracles. But as Helen would say later, you know, at last a pathway to God for intellectuals. That's for those that are still highly educated in the ways of this world and need to untangle and unwind from very complicated learning system. Another thing I'm noticing here is just like, a lot of times people talk about values, but, but the ego can twist this whole talk about values around and try to make it so that all the values that are held just serve it. Because its values are separation, not equality, not joy, happiness, laughter, connection, not collaboration, not all those things that we know are in alignment with spirit, and, and yet it will have all kinds of justifications and arguments about why things are so complicated, why people are sick, why people are poor, why, why some problems never go away. It's, it's almost like uh, trying to use systematic education, propaganda beliefs to suppress the mind and keep the mind enslaved and imprisoned. Whereas you can see these ways that we're seeing are these bright ways that are very practical. You know, there's no talk, in the whole movie so far, there's really no talk of metaphysics. 
nobody has got into a big discussion of whether the script is written or not and we have free will and choice and all the stuff that I've been hearing for like 25 years. Tell me it again now. What does it mean that the script is written? Why am I still doing all these things if the script is, you know, it, because I had the same conversation today uh, where I was talking with a woman from India and we had this lovely practical talk like this and then at the end, can I ask one question please, you know, tell me what is the script is written, what is this... <laughs> What does this mean? You know, I forget the full context of it, but I, you know, we're not here to try to banter around a bunch of metaphysical, high metaphysical ideas. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is this movie is showing practicality and the value of important alignment, spiritual alignment with the, the Holy Spirit, with your intuition, and then putting it into practice immediately. Not maybe if I have more time in the future, after I get a better job, after my situation in this world stabilizes, then I'll someday or some year off in the future, I'll start practicing. Actually, you know, I would say this relates to all these practical issues, but just suppose we looked at the world in terms of spirituality and you saw the value in this movie of, of practical application. I mean, the huge value. He's, he's seeing it every country he goes to. There's a, it's an enormous difference. It's the difference between being wise and ignorant. You know, it's like a huge difference between wisdom and ignorance, not knowing any better, just repeating patterns over and over and then dying. And then doing it over again, over and over and over. It's a huge difference. But what if you applied what we're seeing here to spirituality? What if you could see the value in all of these ways we're seeing it? And, and you thought, wow, I, this could actually be a revolution of consciousness. A revolution of the mind where I find and radiate divine happiness to the whole world and the whole universe. Because I, just because I see the value in it, and I see that it's possible that I can do it. If I have the Spirit in me, and the Spirit wants me to be happy, and my purpose is to be happy and to radiate that happiness to everything and everyone, that's my divine calling. And you started to see that there's nothing really stopping you. All those inhibiting things. But, but, oh, wow, that sounds good. But, but I have practicalities. I have whatever. This and this blocking me, this stopping me. When you start to, to see that those aren't really stopping you, that you don't, can't really be held back by any of those things, and then you can see, the, this is hugely impactful, your whole life could, could be just destined to, to teach the value of listen, inner listening and following, of actually following that inner listening. That you could have an impact more powerful than an atomic bomb just by that simple thing, listening and following. 
and I mean listening and following in in a very uncompromising way, where you it's not like oh, I'll pray for five minutes today, you know, and just see how the rest of the day goes. But I mean, give you give it over, you you give it your full 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 focus. So to me, this what we're seeing here is exciting, not just because of of the principles and the put into action by these people, but because what they're showing us is that there's enormous, enormous potential to shoot off like a skyrocket, to, to soar beyond ignorance, to soar beyond stupidity, to, to soar beyond conventional repetitiveness. You know, just kind of repeating the same mistakes over and over and over as if that's just the way it is. You know, some things will never change. You know, that's that song, but don't you believe it, you know. This is really the don't you believe it moment. So this to me is exciting because it's so practical. Because you're not trying to convince somebody to believe a certain way or you're not trying to convince somebody that somebody's right and somebody's wrong. You know, you look at the people that, that he's interviewing and they, they just have this genuine happiness. Whether it's CEOs of companies, factory workers, educators, principals, you know, chefs, uh, children at a cafeteria. It's just a common thing is there's just a bunch of happy people. And there's a basic following of something that that has a real goodness underneath it. There's a real strong goodness, of a strong principles of what's really important. You know, the paid maternity leave. What about the men? Oh yeah, we can substitute it for the men too. And then the equality here among the schools, not picking better schools and paying more money for better schools. What about the Harvards and the Yales and the Cambridges, you know, what about the, the famous ones? You know, it's you see, what is the principle that these so-called higher education uh, institutions are based on? And is, is it, you know, the common thing we hear everywhere, you know, is this thing about taxes, taxes. Oh, it's how bad it is in Europe with the high, high taxes. He's just... Pew, pew, popping holes in all of that, oh, the high taxes. And then uh, in a lot of his movies, I think, I don't know if he, in this movie he goes after that one, the whole socialism thing. I think that's what Bernie Sanders was called, the socialist. You know, when you start to look at, at these core values of, of equality, of, of equal opportunity, of all these kind of things which are kind of raised up as these important things, like that's the foundation of the United States, that's the foundation. But is it the practice? What is the practice? Actions speak louder than words. Actions, the practical application, you can usually deduce by watching actions. And what did Jesus say 2,000 years ago in the Bible? You shall know them by their fruits, Jesus said. He was talking about by by their example. We recently, uh, Lisa was just in the, the pantry 
and was looking at these things and she was just going through and finding, oh, there's lots of foods in here that have just been sitting there and are not getting used. So she brought our, our house cleaner in uh, and she just said, hey, I want to give you some... As, so she just started pulling things off of the, the shelves that hadn't been used and this and this and this and, and going home. And, but our house cleaner lives a long way away and, and takes walks or takes a, a bus and hikes up the hill every time she comes and everything. And Lisa went with her to this very, very, very tiny building that she lives in. And they got all this food in there and there was so much happiness and joy. It was like Christmas. It was like a birthday. Uh, it was Lisa was cleaning out <laughs> parts of the pantry and this woman was, was just tears. She was just overflowing with gratitude that, that you would offer food, you know, and, and so on and so forth. It's like you start to say, I need to have a different orientation of how I've been perceiving the world. I have to have a new orientation for my belief system. And above all, I don't want to compromise anymore. I don't want to believe in sacrifice. I don't want to believe that there's a perception that is not like the Holy Spirit's perception, where some are ahead and some are behind, where some are wealthy and some are poor, where some are advanced and some are beginning, you know, where some are abundant and where some are needy. What kind of a loving God would give you that kind of a perception? That's just the ego's judgments and comparisons and guilt. You know, that's how the, the guilt is maintained in the mind by making all these judgments, the haves and the have-nots, and on and on and on and on. And so I think... To me, this is, is quite amazing because in Michael's other movies, you know, there's a lot of expose on, on deception, uncovering all kinds of deceptions that, that most people are shocked to even know about. But I feel like in this particular movie, there's a real heart to the movie because it's not simply exposing error. It's demonstrating that there actually is another way, a practical other way that can be given to you and that you can step right into. It doesn't involve any huge cost. In fact, it will, it's a saving grace to get in touch with that wisdom. So, wow, we haven't even covered some of these other things, but... I, what struck me with every one of this constant theme, like, you know how the wor it's all about unlearning, right? And so the kids learn more when they they learn less. I think you feel what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, they Italy's almost as productive as the States when they work less. You could go along the line and this it really resonates with me with this I need do nothing. It's not just literally doing nothing, but coming into this state of mind where less is more. And so I that's the thing that's standing out for me with kind of blowing me away actually like, wow how can how can i apply that even more into my life where i i do or think less and watch more miracles happen so and the idea too that if you are inspired and you're lit up and you're truly motivated from within the 
effect of practicing that and giving yourself fully over to that would be that you are so done through. The Spirit just does everything through you as a meditation, everything through you as a joyful prayer, and then you, you cease to even think about jobs, working, and, and putting all of this focus on the future. As, a, as an escape from the past, you start to really be able to relax and enjoy, uh, you know, even the early ones talking to the Italians about the stress, you know, the, the, the long lunch hours, the paid vacations, they'll talk about that, you know, stress, they say stress causes sickness, and most people will even identify stress with mental, a mental activity, and a mental feeling, even if it has physical expressions and components, they're right on to that. And they're just like, oh, so we relax. So we have, we have fun. Go to the beach, yeah. I go to the beach in, in the summer, you know, when she was asked how she, how she felt. That's like, I think that a lot of us felt that way as children. If you did, I happen to have like three months a year to play in the summer. And I remember that even back then, thinking, I, I'm so glad that this is the way it is, because I don't know if I could make it through those other nine months without these three months. I was very much aware of how important those were. And then um, I have been asked when I was older, and I 10 years of university and all that education and everything, somebody... I've been asked over the years, they try to get down to work it back to, what about little David? When you were little David, what was your favorite subject in school? And I said, recess. And then they burst laughing and ha 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 ha. Okay, what really now? What was your... They, I said, recess. Now I'm actually... I was giving you an honest, straight answer. And, and you laugh at my honest answer. That was my top subject. And then they say, no, okay, that's like, that's a break time. And, you know, I say, well, I really like lunch too. Lunch. But they said, no. <laughs> and France, you saw that was a class. They, they could come back and say, no, lunch is not a class. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> serving others, treating people with respect and drinking water, <laughs> agua, and learning... <laughs> You know, learning dietary things and nutrition things. Oh, that was a class, all right. The French would say, oh, yeah, this is no recreational time. This is an important class. And they'd say, okay, you can't answer recess. You can't answer lunch. Now, what was your favorite subject? And I said, field trips. (laughs) They said, because we did have to go out on field trips. We had to leave the classroom, and that was very experiential for me. It was very experiential. I loved that. that again, you know, I was all trying to give them the best accurate answer. But, but ultimately, we all have to face that, that, that somehow what Jesus is telling us is this whole world is learned. And he says, you learned this whole world of 
this cosmos of time and space, but you never did pause while you were doing all this learning and overlaying of learning and more complex learning, more specialization and more learning, but you never did pause to stop and ask yourself, why am I doing this? He, he says, you never did pause. You just kept on learning and learning and learning and overlearning, but you never did pause. So now, this movie, I think, is, is, gives us a motive to start to, to pause and say, what has all this learning, what is all the learning of my life, where has it got me? Because if it hasn't got me to a sense of peace and happiness and contentment, then that's the time of reckoning. You know, this is, we don't have to wait till you die to have, you know, the angel Peter say, what have you done with your life? You know, you don't have to wait till that, you know. If you're waiting for the pearly gates and going to hopefully get into the pearly gates with what you've done in your life, it's, it's more important to right now be able to ask those questions. What, what has my life brought to me? Because these people are clearly... I mean, the Finland, they, they had, their education wasn't so good, and they, they knew it intuitively, but they, they changed. They went to the research. What does the research show us? You know? and, and now every good scientist should go to the research. Don't just stay in Newtonian. They have to, you have to go to the quantum research. That's what Susan's show, The Leap, is about. Go, go to the research. She went to the research many times, but now there's some new assumptions and beliefs that are being questioned. You've got to go quantum. You've got to go quantum to go to the basics of what science is all about. And you could pick that with any topic. Maybe Jason will on his show explore some of these. But, but that's the thing. Are we willing to question that's what they did. They just simply questioned, like, not working, what will work, and then the willingness to do it, even if it went against all of their past learning, common sense. Common sense says you should work harder and do more homework. Common sense tests, standardized tests, all of these kind of things that people have just been repeating the same mistakes over and over and over, but nobody had the willingness to just say, maybe we've been wrong, and maybe there's a better way, just like Bill Thetford did. And then, they're, oh, wow, there is, <laughs> there is a better way. This sounds like a Course in Miracles group. <laughs> this is a pencil factory. This is how they... T I know, I've been in hundreds of thousands of Course in Miracles groups all over the world. This is how they talk. What do you do? Rest, enjoy life, walk my dog. Yeah, this is what they talk about. They're not that interested in the metaphysics. They, they occasionally they get a little curious, but but they they have their lives to live, and they talk about when you sit down with them what what they do with their lives. That's important, and that's what these uh, pencil workers <laughs> are doing too. But. You know, this is again, this beautiful, the practicality. You know, he, for, he's just met with the president of a country, <laughs> which for him is like, he's tried in all of his movies, he, they won't let him meet with anybody. He, he can't get into to buildings to meet with, with, with 
political people, very rarely a political person uh, or somebody who is in a position of authority or a CEO or whatever. So he's breaking his all-time record in this movie because they're opening their arms and welcoming him into... And he's saying, I'm coming to invade your country, and he's carrying that big American flag around, and they're welcoming him in. He can't get next to General Motors or any of these big, tall buildings on Wall Street or whatever because they, as soon as they see him, they send out the, the, the big guys that make, escort him out. He won't even get close to the lobby. So this is fun to see him setting all of his records, too. There's a, there's a sense of openness and trust that's there, too, that he's receiving. I think he just had a change of heart from trying to find out what's wrong to go looking for what's right. And that made all the difference in terms of who he's meeting. This is the maximum security. And this is the message they want to send to welcome the prisoners in. So we, we do our collaborative videos, but, and it has some of the ideas of love and oneness and everything, but this isn't a maximum security. Some of you may disagree, but, <laughs> but you have to start to see this is a great, this is extremes being used to teach. The Holy Spirit is really using extremes here. Because this, now he's got to find out how do these prisoners live in maximum security prison after the welcome video. How do they actually live? I think uh, she could be our poster child for our new direction. <laughs> it's internet, guys. She looks right into the camera. You know, she looked at us. She looked at us. It's internet, guys. Use it the right way. <laughs> she looked right into the camera. I see that. That's... That's our symbol right there. Like, what? use it for what it's for. Don't misuse it. Yeah. This is probably the best example of not using just words, but here's a guy who goes on the Internet at this point, and he's decided to run for president and call, what is it, the best, the best party, form his own party and call it the best party. You know, to the world, they would say, oh, there's that best thing again, and this and this. But there, as you'll see, it, it was illegal to use such terms. And so this is a form and content one. It's really good because, because just like with all the other places in Morocco and, and the different places, Germany, different where there was just a reaction to something where something is seen as going terribly wrong. And now the whole country seemed to lose 85% of its economy. And they were very, very upset. Just like back, what it was in 1975, when they were upset and then all the women just went down to the, the only town <laughs> in Iceland, the only city in Iceland, basically, and basically shut the whole place down. Don't you think this would work with anything? You know, everyone talks about Jim Jones and everybody drinking the Kool-Aid. Don't you think everybody could have just walked out at some point and went, this guy is nuts. It could happen in ashrams. It could happen in politics. It could happen in families. 
you know, basically it happened to Roseanne. <laughs> you know, they just, everything shut down and now there's going to be a spinoff with everybody but Roseanne. But in this case, you know, there were like 20 or 30 guys that did all this wild investing. And so 85% of the, the country, the country's wealth was wiped out fast. And then this is the good part of choose again. You know, you, you just have to say what's not working and we need to find a better way. But this is a really good example of that, of putting that into action. <laughs> oh, very nice. We've always had the power. Click, click the heels together. The power has always been in our mind. Well, I really enjoyed that. I enjoy movies that focus on practicalities. My whole life and my whole journey has been nothing but all kinds of practicalities. And, and I remember saying many times along the way, if truth isn't practical, then what point, what's the point of it all? If it can't be practically applied, if it doesn't make a difference, if it doesn't make a change in your consciousness and your awareness, what's the point of putting all that effort into practice or repetition or discipline or all those things? There has to be a point to it. So I like this movie. I really like the way it shows. It's a from the bottom up classic. We could do a from the bottom up movie watchers guide to enlightenment. <laughs> from the bottom up F T B U F T B U section. Yeah. Not on just high metaphysics and all this talk about love and oneness and harmony and union, but yeah, how I would say these uh, countries that he visited, you know, there was just some inspiration that was put into action. And then you could feel it. You could see it on their faces. You could see them getting lighter and lighter. Isn't that what Jesus said? You shall know them by their fruits. That's the, that's the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding is, how do you feel? Do you feel happy? Have you experienced a, a happiness? Just you could see it in their eyes. It was a, there was the sparkle of facing a new day with enthusiasm instead of uh, despair or depression or escape, escapism. So, so the idea of sides is very important to the ego and even when, even in this movie or other movies, when there's projections of looking for equality and form, those are just symbols when we would say uh, people treating each other with love, respect, Men and women equal, different races equal, different countries equal, different economic systems or whatever you want. Those are all just symbols because equality is, is back to that alignment that takes you back to pure oneness. 
in reality, there's there's not two, so there can't be even equality. Is just a concept. But you might say forgiveness is the equalizer, where you see everything in time and space as simultaneous and and unified. So that is the the equality, the equality not of sides are equal, but the quality of the quantum field or the quality of of atonement of unified mind. The world was made in hate, but the world was answered immediately. And if that's the case, which is the case, then the most important thing would be to accept the correction. Not to necessarily say, God is love, God is all, God is one. If that's not your experience, if there's an experience of doubt or hurt or sadness, anger, frustration, whatever, fatigue, you name it, then that means that there's, there's a need there to do what Michael was saying. You have to first admit something's gone wrong. All the people in the different systems had to admit at some point, something's wrong with our prison system, something's wrong with our educational system, something's wrong with our, our food, something's wrong with whatever it is, and there has to be a better way. And that better way is where the alignment comes in, equality, uh, respect, dignity. You know, there was a lot of beautiful words. Letting go of the death penalty. You can't have dignity and kill people at the same time. You know, there was, that was a beautiful reflection that love and, and hate don't go together. It's just a symbol, you know, letting go of the death penalty. But these were all symbols in the movie. Yeah. Well, this is the line from the Course, no one can be angry at a fact. And so it must be that that the fact goes very, very deep. Like truth is a fact, but truth is beyond this world. Truth is not to be found in symbols. Uh, and it's just amazing how the mind has given the ego the capacity to try to counteract truth by with error. I mean, even... Sometimes it's fun to watch some of the stuff I see and hear on the internet and people will say, I've heard Christians say, well, the problem with the Course is the Course teaches that there is no sin. And, uh, you know, for someone identified with traditional Christianity, the idea that there is no sin, it's almost like that throws... Every, that would throw all of Catholicism, that would throw everything out. And and even Jesus is, you know, trying to demonstrate something and, and kind of saying, woe to you, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the scribes. You know, it would be like, what was he trying to teach and, and why was he here? Um, why would even Jesus even mention the devil if there's no sin, there must be no devil. If you know, it's it's this kind of phraseology. There is no sin, but it actually, if you did a word count on sin, you'd find the word sin mentioned many times in a course of miracles. That's why when somebody tells me, "Well, the course teaches there is no sin," well, the word is used actually a lot. So actually, that points to well, we must have to take a closer look at what the meaning of the word sin is. Like, you get around to the, those sections around the I need do nothing 
uh, subsection in the course, and he says, you, you know, you still find sin attractive. And he even has sections in there about attraction to pain is a subtitle, a section title in the course. And then, then attraction to guilt. There's attraction to pain followed by attraction to guilt followed by attraction to death. And Jesus talking about death worshipers and it's like, oh, this is the same book that teaches that there is no sin. But there's a lot in there. And what Jesus is basically saying is, you know, there's really, he's reinterpreting sin into error. Victimization, if it were true in any form, then guilt would be real. And then if guilt was real, then sickness is real. And then death is real, and there you go. And these things that Jesus taught, you know, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. You know, a lot of the amazing teachings of Jesus would be completely negated if uh, this was true. So what basically Jesus does, you see how practical Jesus is, is he's like, he doesn't come out on page one, you know, miracle principle number one, you know, and invent something. There is no sin, because that'd be like, ah. It's like throwing gasoline on the fire. He basically is saying sin is error to be corrected. So you see how, how that's a very helpful reinterpretation of sin. Sin is an error to be corrected. Not a black mark on your soul that you will burn in hell for. Uh, there's another interpretation uh, instead of that. And that is, is it, it's an error to be corrected. And then the more you get into it, you start to go, hmm, it's, it's an error that has been corrected. You see the difference between error to be corrected and an error that has been corrected. In other words, it's accomplished. That the Holy Spirit is the representation of, that is the correction. The atonement principle, you know, in heaven, uh, there was no need for atonement because atonement is correction. But if heaven is perfect love and perfect oneness, what does perfect love and oneness even need with correction? It doesn't even know of correction. God doesn't know of correction. But the atonement principle, just out of that love, just like what we saw with Michael Moore and all these people coming up with these guided ways of a better way, those were reflections of this desire to love, to heal. You know, that those prison systems in Norway, wow. The desire to heal. The, the election system, you know, in Tunisia shifting around and in Iceland to heal. No uh, prosecution for drugs. Drug, uh, there aren't even drug offenses. They just, you know, it's just wiped away. There's some presence of love that's the desire is to heal to heal instead of punish to to have correction instead of saying something terrible was done and that that terrible thing uh, is real that's the part that that uh, most Christians most people in the world it's the is does evil exist 
does evil have a reality? And and so there are many, many philosophies and theologies and teachings that basically even the yin and the yang still is two. And what we're looking at is we're looking at a non-dualistic approach that that truth is non-dual. Truth is not two. Advaita is not two. And that is where you have to start to open up to the idea that not only is correction possible, but a correction has occurred. And it must be accepted. If the correction is denied, then you would still seem to experience the effects of the delusional belief in sin or error or lack or debt. It's just a delusional belief, but the Holy Spirit has corrected it. So one of the ideas that I've emphasized throughout my teachings has been divine providence, that, that just like Mother Teresa talked about it, or St. Francis, and so on and so forth, Jesus had beautiful passages. Look at the lilies of the field. They neither spin nor toil. That they're cared for, you know, even greater than that of Solomon. And, and uh, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, all else will be added unto you. The, it's basically saying that if you trust in the Spirit and you follow the guidance of the Spirit, that everything that you believe you need will be provided. Not from anything in time and space. Not from money. You know, not from causation in the world, but from your desire to, to know God. So, it's very profound. That's the, the whole teaching, is that the error has already been corrected. And now the goal is to accept the correction. Be it a moment, or if it seems to take hundreds or thousands or even millions of years, that doesn't alter the idea that the correction has, has already been accepted. And what, that's why Jesus says, when I arose, you were with me. It's a, it's a perceptual error. The ego is still the, is the belief that time continues on and that, that there's a separation from God. And Jesus is saying, good news, be of good cheer. It's over. I have saved the world, not Jesus the man, not uh, some, as some personal avatar saint, but in the mind, that correction has been accepted. And even from the cross, when Jesus says, it is finished, you know, it's, he wasn't talking about the body is finished. <laughs> he was talking about the stars are finished, the cosmos is finished, the black hole is finished, Linear time is finished. There was a big, it is finished, because of the correction. And he, he's an example, or just a symbol of accepting the correction. And he was saying things like, what I've done, greater things than, than I will you do. He was basically pointing that you, you're going to accept this correction like I did. It is our destiny to know our Creator. Nothing can stop you from knowing the Creator. The correction has has been given and has been received.
Yeah, we're just um, yeah, watching my thoughts through the the program, and I noticed that, um, and I've seen it before, and I don't know why I never noticed these parts before, but it really stood out for me this time was the thing with in Germany where they say every day the kids have to remember what happened, you know, to the Jews, and every day they talk about that and talk about that, and then there's signs, like, in the streets or whatever with the Jews. Jews lived here, and and then he kind of, like, then said, well, shouldn't that, this idea of, shouldn't that be in the United States, too? With the genocide. With yeah. genocide and, you know, the forced relocation of Native Americans across the country, and, um, yeah, and even the whole thing with the, all of the black men getting imprisoned in the South, and and that's why the Republicans always win those states. But, yeah, I don't know that I heard that before the last time I saw this movie, but now it's like, wow, that's terrible. You know, I have this whole kind of reaction to that. And, um, yeah, I think there's still, like, just healing around a feeling like there's still like unfinished business, like with forgiveness that needs to still happen in the United States and, and maybe a feeling like I walked away from that just because that was kind of what I was like into (laughs) before I joined community. But um, yeah, I think the question that it all brings up for me because um, I joined with Lisa today, and she just shared with me a bit about her trip back up to Pennsylvania, which seemed to be a lot about healing, you know, some things that needed to be forgiven in her family, you know, secrets and, you know, forgiveness with uh, her father's family. And and it kind of started bringing up maybe a few things in my mind, like where maybe I haven't really completely healed something with my own family and yeah, so it's kind of like this question of when do you stay <laughs> and when do you go in terms of when is the forgiveness done? Like how many days? I mean, how long are the kids in Germany going to have to talk about the Jews every day? You know, and whatever things haven't been really looked at in the United States, is that just, you know just something that's going on in another place in the world just to ignore or even within families like when is it just not to go back into anymore and when is it to go back into (laughs) in the case of like Lisa which seems like she is has gone back and and is dealing with family issues that weren't resolved yeah well I was saying that the the correction has already occurred and now needs to be accepted. But, but that's where the the trust and the trusting in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, trusting in Jesus's guidance to guide the plan, because it has to be that the the correction to be accepted has to be presented in a way. In other words, the Holy Spirit has to convince the mind of its innocence, because now it's so sure that it's guilty. And the Holy Spirit has to find a way. So it has to use time and space to bring about that leaping off point of like, oh my gosh, 
I'm innocent and everyone's innocent. There has to be a way to reach that. And I think with Lisa, there was this feeling of, um, yeah, when she, I was traveling with Frank and Lisa up in Utah when we first arrived there. And that night she couldn't sleep and she had all this energy, but she just couldn't go to sleep. And that's when she started digging through the internet and found the obituary that said her father had died. And then there was a lot of emotion with that. And then, then when she read through the obituary, obituary, she wasn't mentioned in the obituary. So there was a hit maybe with that as well. Like I, I, had, I searched it out on the Internet and found it, and then I, I wasn't even mentioned in the obituary. And that seemed to trigger some, some deep feelings, being violated at different times, or being feel like I've been raped, and this deep sense of violation uh, that's not uncommon. On the journey into healing, even as we go through the four obstacles to peace, you know, we get down to the, the, the fear of, of God's love. As you come down towards the fear of death and you go, have to go down to the fear of love that's underneath that fear of death. And similarly, the Spirit knows just the way, what, what it will take for what, what you will have to face, um, the way that it has to be presented, the way that it has to come to ultimately click, oh, I'm innocent. I'm purely innocent, and everyone is innocent. And and this idea of separation, it, it couldn't be so. It it doesn't have a root. It doesn't. It's like a bastard child that have never had a parent. It, separation doesn't have a parent. It doesn't have a source. But it's believed in, so it seems like the whole world witnesses to this tiny mad idea. And I, I do feel for everyone, it's like that's where the, it comes down to that emotional honesty of um, going past layers of denial and adaptation. Um, I think it's beautiful that you caught some of that stuff um, at this time through of watching it because, um, you know, the idea of all of the the whole, all the, all the propaganda we could say on the war on drugs is shown pretty clearly as you see presidents and important people war on drugs and fight the war on drugs and then you can see the way he put it together that it was, it was part of a, another veil or covering over racism, you know, underneath the war on drugs. For a lot of people they'd say, well racism has nothing to do on, with the war on drugs but it's the same with everything in the projected world. If you take it down deeper, there's some kind of deep belief in separation, differences, injustice, victimization that's buried down there. And it's almost like the story of the princess and the pea that even though she's sitting on all these mattresses, she still is uncomfortable. She can still feel the pea underneath all these mattresses and that's the way it is with the mind who thinks it's a human being functioning in the world and floating along as a human being but there's something down there that's way way down there under all the mattresses you could call it sin you could call it error and even though it's been corrected the the correction has not been accepted it's almost like something's wrong and that's where it starts you know 
When Lisa, I said, how do you feel? Not good. I couldn't sleep. Something's wrong. And I want to pray, and I want to be guided, and I want to follow, and I want to face whatever I have to face to do that. And, and also you need the energy to face that. That's why we always talk about collaboration. We talk about function. We talk about the synergy of, of serving the spirit because you need the vitality, the vibrancy, the joy, the happiness, the energy from being in alignment to even face that, that deep-seated belief that something terrible has gone wrong. And it's been denied, it's been pushed out of awareness, but it's still felt from time to time on the surface. And so I, I really enjoy that because I can see, it's the old bait and switch where you see the whole thing and the war on drugs, the war on drugs. The whole thing with Portugal was fantastic. You know, at, like Jesus, Jason would say, counteracting all this stuff, you know. But I would say the drugs aren't really the problem. The, the things that have occurred the, throughout history, even the massacres and the genocides and, and the pestilence and disease and the, you know, different things like on Earth, ice ages and where whole species were eliminated. You know, it's it's quite a planet actually when you think about it, when you think that human beings are a species and throughout history over 99% of all species on earth have gone extinct. <laughs> extinct, that's, a, that's another good synonym for earth. The planet of extinction. <laughs> Would you like to go and, and visit the planet of extinction? Ego will make it sound a little more attractive than that, but I'm trying to bring in the extinction thing just to say that, you know, there's been a lot of genocide. If over 99% of all species have gone extinct, then, you know, uh, that gives you a little context for things. But underneath extinct, that's still the death wish. The death wish made time and space. The death wish made this world. And the correction, again, has already been offered and already been accepted. So when you really see it in that context, then it starts to be like, well, then the most helpful thing I could do, because that's really where you're wondering, like, is it, if I've been running, did I run away from... From the tribe that I, if I turn my back, turn to deaf ear on my days of activism and, and fighting for the tribe and trying to right the wrongs and all this and this, but, but if the correction's already been offered, then the acceptance of the correction must be the one and only goal. The, that's the sole responsibility, is the way he says it. Only responsibility is to accept the correction. In the face of the ego throwing up Many, many, many. What about you're guilty about that? Don't, don't forget about this. I saw you. I got this in the memory bank. You are shameful and guilty for good reason. The ego tries to make a whole case, but the one responsibility is accepting the correction. And then I like that when he says, "You are not responsible for the error, but you are responsible for accepting the correction." That makes it. From Jesus Christ? Okay, that's clear. Got my mission. 
The other thing he says, though, is is you can't do this, you can't accept the atonement, as long as you project the error to time and space. So any time that that error of separation gets projected to anything in time and space, that's what projection is, the attempt to get rid of something that you don't want. But projection is how you keep it. So by blaming anything, by blaming the Germans, or blaming the Jews, or, or blaming the the Americans or the, the, the U.S. citizens are blaming the Indians or blaming whatever. You know, it's, it's the same thing. I think they told me the story too where uh, out where our monastery is, was there, wasn't there some big uh, fight or massacre out there? And then the more you started to look into it, you know, to see what happened to my people, the tribe, the Indians, then you started realizing you were related <laughs> that you you were related to the white people that did it. And it's like, oh man, is this gonna get schizophrenic or whatever? Who are my people? <laughs> I was I was the ones shooting and and stabbing and killing and I was the ones being <laughs> shot and stabbed and it's like uh, it's like Wiley know. E. Coyote in the Roadrunner. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's pretty wild, right? So you, even that, to me, that's when I heard that story, I said, well, there's a symbol of you going in deeper. You know, who is, who am I and who is my source? And as long as I'm playing the game of being identified with people on time and, time and timeline, then it, it, will, it will have no resolution because it's still projecting the error. So, uh, it, you know, it seems to play out, the ego plays out in terms of pleasure and pain on the timeline. And pleasure and pain, for example, seem to be very different. And yet, what Jesus tells us in the Course is they're the same. That doesn't seem that way at all to the human awareness, but basically he says, no, pleasure and pain are both the same because both serve the same purpose. Okay, what is that purpose that they both serve? If you're telling me they're the same, they both serve to reinforce the body as being real. And therefore they both have the same error. And again, the projection of that error takes to what seems to be extremely different forms, just like the victim and the victimizer seem to be extremely different. And the belief in attacking and being attacked is extremely different. But he does say in the workbook that once you see that, that being attacked and attacking are actually the same, then you'll be willing to let them go. In other words, what it really is is just attack thoughts. It's not that they're actually really attackees and attackers. That's the projection of the air into a dualistic context. But it's actually just attack thoughts that are blocking the, the Christ vision, the light. And once you're willing to see that being attacked and, and being, uh, being the one that is doing the attacking are the same, then you're willing to forgive and release it. And and you can notice that even in spiritual community as you go through the day, you know, how the the belief to be unfairly treated can arise or disturbed by something, too much noise or there's 
too much, it's too busy, or it's too hot, or it's too cold, or they they didn't treat me with a, they didn't smile at me, you know. I, I went there, I smiled, I gave a nice tip, and they didn't, even with that big tip, not a smile. You know, it, it would still be any kind of injustice or perceived lack is going to be still the attempt to project the error and looking to effects, looking to effects for meaning. And the whole court, the reason for meditation, the reason for all these inner practices of forgiveness is to not look to effects anymore, to find the correction within yourself. The kingdom of heaven is within you, is what Jesus said. He wasn't talking about it within the body, but he was saying within the mind. So that's good. I'm glad you brought that up. And I was actually thinking, because Jason was talking about immigration, and he was on your show tomorrow, your live show, you were talking about bringing up immigration. And and just the whole idea of immigration, you know, under I guess underneath immigration is this idea of countries. You know, it would it's hard to with uh, it's hard to talk about immigration without countries. Even though our Saint John, John Lennon, uh wrote channeled the the song Imagine. Imagine there's no country. I wonder if you can. Nothing to kill or die for, a brotherhood of man. So you see how deep it goes. It's even in a popular Beatles song, Imagine There's No Country. But you can see how immigration kind of sits on top of the country idea. And uh, it, I think, too, it's really... Um, if you really went down the roots of immigration, it's kind of this, it's this inclusion-exclusion thing. Like... There's a huge desire to be included in whatever, in the family of God or in, in a family or f feeling loved. That's what's underneath the desire, I think, to be included is the desire to be loved. And then underneath the desire to be loved is the belief that you are not loved or not worthy of love or, or are not experiencing love. And then you see how all these other things, am I included, am I excluded, and then it gets in through country filters and this idea of borders. Well, you know, it's, it's all like built up on false building blocks. Uh, no different than that idea of, was it a, a terrorist attack, was it an attack from outside, or was it an inside job? with 9-11, you know, that's the same thing. Which illusion is true? Was it really an inside job illusion or was it an, a terrorist illusion? And I'm like, that's not a real question. That's not really a question. You have to get to your point in your mind where you where the question dissolves. You, you know, I have absolutely no response to that. Because the question has to be seen as impossible, but as long as you know you're looking at at the those kind of issues, it's going to be really underneath it is of these illusions. Which do I prefer, or wanting to be right rather than happy? Right about a particular illusion. Well, this is a worse illusion than that illusion, even though the first order of the first principle of miracles is that there's no order.
a difficulty in miracles. And that's the corollary teaching is there's no hierarchy of illusions. Well, if there's no hierarchy of illusions, then there can't be better illusions and worse illusions, or real illusions. And that's a, now that's an unreal illusion. Yeah, that's what the word means. Illusion is unreal. But there's a real illusion. No, that's an oxymoron. That's a contradiction in terms. You know, you have to, only the Spirit can call a spade a spade. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why we pray and we call on the Holy Spirit. Human beings can't make that call, can't make that discernment. They're, they're constructs. They're, they're on the, they're figures in the dream. You know, they're, they're not going to be able to tell the difference between reality and unreality. We even have movies. Uh, what was that one with? Um, at, at the end, where she's living two lives and the two lives back and forth. Passion of mind, and then she's she's over. I think she's questioning her boyfriend in New York, and she's telling him, you know, well, I don't know which is who's real, my life in Paris or my life in New York City, and and he says, I, I'm real. And she says, that's what they all say. You know, and that, that's what all the characters on earth, you know, except for Jesus. You know, he, he, he said things like, before Abraham was, I am. He, he wasn't really reinforcing that he was human. <laughs> was, I and the Father are one. You know, those are not human statements. Those are like eternal truth statements. So whatever was coming out of his mouth was not coming from the ego. It was coming from a different place. And that's why that's an example or a demonstration or way shower. Yeah. I think the part that affected me the most was um, the American prisons and just seeing like what what I saw was the, the correction being offered in the prison in Norway or whatever it was. And then just like this senseless violence happening. And uh, yeah, I just found myself feeling really disturbed by it. And um, maybe it ties into what you were just saying about the victim and the victimizer. But I just felt to just share that. And and also I just, I've been feeling really touched every time you say the word innocence. It's like there's this like inner relaxation that's happening more and more. And I can still feel something holding on, like just this subtle like buzz of tension. So I've just been experiencing that all all session too. So I guess in my heart I feel like something really beautiful is happening and I've never been so touched by the word innocence. There's like a promise in my mind. It feels really nice. Nice is not the yeah. right word for it. Yeah. It feels very pure. Yeah, that's one of the baselines of believing that you're here in this world, one of the baselines of perceiving this world is is the acceptance of duality as reality. And part of that acceptance of this ego, like almost forcibly saying, no, duality is reality. This You've thrown away heaven. You, you're gone from heaven. There's no sign left. There's no, there's no sign and there's no uh, indicators left. You... You have done something terribly wrong. You've left God, and and you will pay for it at some point. And that's why it's not even surprising these religions, these hellfire religions. You know, 
you'll the idea that we some of us grew up hearing about this burning in hell uh that's not such a far stretch considering uh that the ego's premise is duality is reality and as long as you would believe in something like heaven there must be an opposite like the yin and the yang there always must be an opposite and two of the most common juxtaposed uh ideas are guilt and innocence we grow up there's all these shows like CSI there's all these police shows there's courtroom shows there's even watching Mayberry RFD Andy Griffith show he was a sheriff there's there's the good side of the law and there's the bad side there's the ones who break the laws and the ones who make the laws or try to keep the laws and then there's the there's the guilty ones who have done wrong and then there's the innocent ones who who have not done wrong. And so you start to realize that we've grown up in a in a culture, in a belief system, in a cosmos where guilt and innocence are juxtaposed as opposites. What Jesus is saying is no innocence true innocence doesn't have an opposite. So it must mean that our concept of innocence has been a fabrication has been a lie just as much as our concept of wrongdoing so that's why there has to be a leaping off point that goes beyond morality because even morality there's no universal acceptance in this world of good and bad and right and wrong you may find a lot of agreement on that but not universal acceptance and so i think when you hear the word innocence spoken it's just like a deep it's like the forgotten song it's like the memory of a long forgotten state of mind that is so wonderful and so peaceful and restful and so loving and and he even says that in the song of prayer that if that you you if you remembered how loved you were you know and the how you loved those that were with you and everything you would weep you couldn't control the tears because the love would over overwhelm you and this is i feel like that's what the innocence is it's it's prior to time it's prior to time just like love is prior to time in this world love and hate seem to be opposites but again this he says in the introduction to the course this course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love for that is beyond what can be taught it aims at the removal to the obstacles to the awareness of love's presence there we go now the master the one who transcended all of time and space all dualities is saying i'm going to reach you starting with these words and we'll have to go way beyond these words but this is what you believe in and this is what we're going to work with and you believe in these symbols and images and we're going to work with those so it's like being lost in a far country and then and then having a helper come into the far country and saying I will help you right where you believe you are. You're delusional, but that's okay. You've got a generated an entire fake world and fake identity. We're fine with fake. No problem. Just don't lie about it. Don't conceal it. Don't hide it just raise it up 
into awareness with the Holy Spirit's help and, and hand it over. And give back that little tiny part that you believe is separ held separate from the universe. You know, just give it back. That's <laughs> basically what the Holy Spirit is just saying. That's what the Holy Spirit's prayer is always. Just give it back. You know, just give it back. <laughs> it's not making you happy. This little tiny mad idea, this little puff. It would be like a, a baby, an infant, picking up a little piece of sharp glass. And the parent coming over, okay, sweetie, honey, give it back. <laughs> don't, don't hold on to that and don't do anything with that, that sharp piece of glass. Yeah, as you were talking about innocence, I could feel in my mind that like the, the ideas or the things that I felt were still unresolved or like the correction had already been offered. There was, like, they had lifted off my mind and like, it just seemed to make so much sense that if love is very pure, like, I, I can't even, for whatever reason, I can't speak the words, but if, if love is something so pure, then there has to be some lifting off of those at some point. Like, that can't be what I am. And, and it just, it, experientially, it, it was felt in that moment, so. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of faith because it's like to go, keep going down, down in that direction, then you just, you really have to be willing to, to, to have an admission that I was wrong about all of the, of the world. I was wrong about everything of the cosmos. And Jesus says, the ego just feels that's just insulting. You know, that the ego's like, no, it can't be that. Because the ego believes it has some contribution to make to the truth, but the ego is a death wish. A death wish does not have a contribution to make to the truth. But for the mind that believes in the ego, the, the ego is still in there saying, oh, no, no, I, I'm a little more important than that. That's insulting. I always tell the story of a, when I was with a friend down in the woods of Kentucky and we started going through the course workbook lessons and she did the first lesson, the second lesson, third lesson. She's like, is this going to get any better? And she's like, these are terrible. And then we have eight, we worked for eight, nine, ten. She says, please, I'm here in the woods, you know, it's like, when, can we skip ahead? Is there like some other lessons that are, you know, because it was just, it was so insulting. She was perceiving, at one point I think she said something like, was it, does Jesus think I'm an idiot? I'm just a blooming idiot? You know, after doing one of those early lessons, because it's, it's, it's like taking the underpinnings out of the whole, whole idea, the whole belief system. And that, yeah, it does take faith, faith in the unseen to continue on. Faith in vision, spiritual vision, instead of the perceptions of the world. Yeah, um, 
I think this ties in really, really nicely, actually, to what you were talking about with Kristen, because what's been up in my mind recently is just the pride underneath all of all of the seeming wrong things that I see. Like when I'm triggered in the movie or any time that I feel an upset, it's like, yeah, there's this feeling that I... I know what this means. And uh, I was talking to Andy about this recently, and he was super helpful. It's like coming into that feeling that there's there's actually no contribution that I by myself can make to the plan of awakening. Like I have 0% contribution, and that feels really joyful. So my prayer has been like, help me, help me to see this differently but I think in my mind I'm sort of seeing this pride as as different than the other things because it seems to me like when I'm in this in this mode of wanting to be right then by definition it can't be corrected in the same way as the other things. Um, Like I can ask the Holy Spirit (laughs) to help me if I'm not in that pride. But if I'm in that pride, like I guess just my question is, how is that corrected if if correction really is available now? Then, uh, yeah, how do I get out of that one? Well, it's a course in using relationships. So there's one point where Jesus says, when you are feeling the way you're describing, you know that there's something there that's like a block, clearly a block. Then it's he says, uh, whoever is the saner of the two of you, remember your indebtedness to your brother. The arc of peace is entered two by two. So if if he's using the mechanism of relationships, when you feel that point of like, hmm, I can't, I don't seem to be able to ask for the correction. Or maybe you could say, I'm just not willing (laughs) right now. I'm I'm actually willing for the pride instead of asking for the, the correction, then that's a nice line to remember, whoever is the saint of the two, because that's where you can go toward a brother or you can just join, like you were joining with Andy, and then through just that willingness, you know, it, it opens the, the gate, it opens the possibility. So it's nice to think that, oh yeah, that's oh, of course I can join. I, I don't have to stay in individual hell. Right, you know. and of course it's pride that just wiped that possibility mm-hmm. out of the mind entirely. Yeah, yes. It's pushed it out, yeah. Well, that's easy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs>
I've got a question. Uh, I'm just I'm experiencing a shift in my mind, and I just I see that. It's, it actually requires enormous willingness on my part to allow this healing to happen, you know. It's not just litter, you know. Um, it's like... And what I'm really working on right now is allowing that emotions to live and pass and not to beat myself up about that I mean this is really crucial for me right now because I see that this is the point where I where I am often stuck and it's just like you know um Like, how many times can I be upset? When when is the point where I should already be able not to be upset? Uh, and so this is like this bully in my mind that's bullying me and over and over. And it's like I have to uh, be convinced over and over and over that I'm I really am not a sinner. I really am not guilty, even when it seems as if I've done something wrong. And for some reason, many times I'm like, my mind is insisting that I am wrong. If When I feel like I feel anger, I feel shame or whatever I feel, this is wrong. And But when I am able to snap out of it, it actually doesn't feel really like... Like, it's wrong. It just, you know, it feels the way it feels, but I am able to watch it, and I don't feel like something, something's off. It's just like, okay, this is passing. But I am, it's not easy as of yet for me to allow that, and I am just wondering if you can, if there's something that would be most helpful for me now to nurture that, that allowance like uh, some tip that I can remember every time I am triggered, which is often, and to remember to be really present to that, whatever it is, and to welcome it with open arms and just say, I'm glad that you came. And I am ready to face that, you. And I, I, I really, I need that, I want that. It's very important for me right now. Yeah. Well, it seems like what you're praying for and asking for is just is to have that connection or that reminder of of the correction. You know, that's what the convincing is. It, he does say little willingness a lot of places in the Course, but at one point... He does say it takes great willingness to realize that all events, encounters, situations, circumstances are helpful 
So, I, oh, there he goes. He threw the great word in there. But uh, I would say that, you know, it, it just has to come to you in some kind of a way that's a reminder. I remember many years ago, I listened to a lot of music, and <clears throat> I remember I, I listened to this one song, and it started going, and then it got to the chorus, and the chorus went like, like this, Oops, I made a mistake. You're beautiful, beautiful. Oops, I made a mistake. You're beautiful to me. Now, that's a cute little uh, chorus, but that meant a lot to me because I thought there has to be a way of looking at the mistake or the error. Not some big bully, ah, ooh, you know, it's, that's, that is not helpful. And I had to, I was watching my own mental process, but when I heard that song, I just got the biggest smile because it, it was acknowledging the mistake with oops, a very light oops. In fact, we had a woman who was in our community, lived down here, and she was in our community for years. Some of you remember Lee from uh, Sweden. And uh, we would have these sessions and expressive sessions, and then she would sit there in the group and she would go, guilt, guilt. That's the way she pronounced guilt, guilt. <laughs> Everybody would laugh because <laughs> it was so... High, it was like a mouse going guilt, guilt, like a little mouse, you know, not like oh, guilt, you know, <laughs> guilt, guilt, and we all just laughed, and that's like the oops, that's like the oops. You have to, you have to start to see your mistakes as oops, and then you have to allow that your beautiful part to come right in, because what is your beautiful except? the correction, except that innocence, except that loving reminder. And it has to come to you in some kind of way that you get it, you know, that you can take an oops as an oops. Oops, sounds kind of little. Oops. You know, it sounds tinier. <laughs> and then the beautiful part can can come in and, yeah... I, I really listened to that song a lot, uh, you know, years ago, because it was helpful. Yeah, and, and you see it's a different perspective than the bully. It's a very different perspective. Yeah. And then again, I have to be willing to s s remember that when I seem to be, believe that... Uh, someone other than me made a mistake as well like this is this feels like i today i was triggered by a few seemingly few people and i was just noticing how i want to make them wrong like and i'm noticing how 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 terrible it feels that i don't want to feel that and i i actually i want to not see them as wrong because because i feel terrible when i when I make them wrong, and yet something it's wants to insist that they they are wrong, they must be, I, and I I don't want to let that live in me. 
So it's just only what it's just the willingness to not let that 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 critical harsh voice try to sell me that yeah it's i mean i'm maybe it's sort of a question or yeah the ego of course the ego likes projection so it always wants to laser in on somebody is like being wrong or being mistaken or being a problem or whatever and it's pretty adamant sometimes it's like and I, like it's got evidence I got the evidence and it's true you know the ego like, it's true it's true it's true it's true there's a beautiful passage in the course maybe you can go look it up but I remember because I when I would have that going on in my mind and I would just get still and and open up to Jesus. He opens up this passage. You could probably find the whole thing, but he starts off, dream softly of your sinless brother. That's how he starts. Dream softly of your sinless brother. Um, Something about remember, remember his gifts instead of the hurts that he gave. The whole paragraph is so kind and so generous and and so gentle and it's just like it washes over you you know as, as the ego wants to find fault or make somebody wrong it's just it's such a soft reminder even the first line dream softly of your sinless brother you know and there's another part where he's talking about correction of error and and he says your brother is never wrong. And and then he talks about that correction, that even if he seems to be speaking insanely, um, it's still your only responsibility to see, see the Christ in him, see the truth, that correction is not your function, you know, as a person. You're, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the correction. It's a yielding, Help me see this differently, you know. I could see peace instead of this. You know, there's all those workbook lessons that talk about. I will step back and let him lead the way. You know, really, you're just yielding gently into the Holy Spirit and saying, "I want your vision. I want your perspective. I want your interpretation to find peace." And so, yeah. But that's great that, you know, you've got the course, you know, you could just, when you're in one of those little fits, you could just pop the book open and it'll, it it just is amazing. It just always gives you the right answer, the right words. Yeah. You're so worthy. You're worthy of that peace. <laughs>